What, you have a podcast? I can't let you do that, Kyle. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. Ah, good morning. It's a nice morning. The Seahawks won. Uh, Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos did not do well. That was... Uh, that was very surprising. Um, now, if you told me, you know, hey, the Seattle Seahawks will win, I'd be like, well, yeah, you know, they've got a lot riding on this. It's it's a home game. It's uh, Monday night. It is the opener of the season. It's the first Monday night football game of the year. Uh, Seattle has typically, even before the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson era, done very well when they're in prime time and they're the only show in town to watch. Um, so, and, and one thing you can always give Pete Carroll, I mean, for a lot of things that I don't care for, uh, one thing he's very good at is getting his team motivated. Like you will not find a better coach in the league, uh, at getting their team ready for the moment. Um, they are always high energy, ready to go. I mean, that, that is one thing you can't take away from that man. He is a very, very good motivator, uh, and yeah, forgive me for going on a football rant here in the morning, but it was a big win. It was a big deal and also, you know, kind of surprising. Because again, if you told me Seattle's going to win this game, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, there's a lot riding on it. Emotions are high. Uh, there's some payback involved. Um, but also, you know, you, you don't want to be the losing team of a perceived coronation, right? Like, this was supposed to be Russell Wilson's return to Seattle with his brand new team, and it was supposed to be his opening salvo in a in a bid to be the most valuable player this year, right? So the last thing you want to do is be that guy. Uh, kind of the same way as, like, you know, when it comes to pitchers in baseball, you don't want to be the pitcher who gives up, like, Mark McGuire's number 62, right? You don't want to be that pitcher. That's not what you want to be known for. I mean, it's okay that he breaks the record, but but you don't want to be known for the guy who threw the pitch that Mark McGuire built his entire career on. Uh, that, that kind of sucks, right? You don't want to do that. And the Seahawks definitely didn't want to do that. Um, but it, it was it was the, the way that they won that was kind of shocking to me. Like... I thought the biggest surprise of the entire trade deal this offseason with uh, Russell Wilson going to Denver was the fact that Denver uh, had just hired a new coach, a rookie head coach. He's never been a head coach before. Apparently, he has a long lineage uh, as far as legacy going on, like his dad was involved in the sport at high levels. So uh, I think even at one point, the announcers were like, he was destined to coach a team. And I'm like wow, that's really saying something from Joe Buck when, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, yeah, um, nepotism, it, it, it works, right? And for Joe Buck to, uh, to be on the announcing team that announces that, you know, this particular head coach Hackett has a lineage that destines him for greatness. And I've never bought into that, but whatever. Uh, it was kind of interesting. But even besides all that, you would think, okay, you're, you're Russell Wilson, you're a quarterback, you want to succeed, right? And the Denver Broncos are an extremely talented team. They they made a lot of mistakes yesterday, but, but the talent is there, right? They're very good. 
Um, but still, a new head coach. Uh, and a head coach brings with them a new culture and new priorities and everything. And, and also, considering this is a rookie head coach, you know, this is his shot. He may never get another head coaching job. You know, that there is a, uh, a carousel of certain head coaches, especially when it comes to legacy characters like this guy. Um, they will keep getting jobs no matter how often they fail or, or just wreck everything. Um, and to the point that it drives some fans absolutely insane that that happens. Um, but, but still, even though that is in this guy's favor, this might be his only head coaching job. He may never head coach in the NFL again. Like this is it. So is he willing to let Russell Wilson be the star of the show? Because no one was really talking about him until after the game. Before the game, it was all Russell Wilson. This is Russell Wilson's team. Russell Wilson's now in charge of the Denver Broncos. He left Seattle Seahawks because Pete Carroll wouldn't give up uh, that authority, that control over the team, and wouldn't give him the reins. And now Russell's found a team with the reins, and I'm just sitting here like, you know, the head coach probably said that because he was a rookie head coach and he doesn't know how to say, no, I don't want a diva quarterback screwing up what I'm trying to build here. I mean, he doesn't really have the power to say that, or he may be in a position where he doesn't feel like he has the power. Um, so, so I think that that was interesting uh, that Russell Wilson, so eager uh, to, to get out of uh, Seattle, that he chose somewhere where there are so many questions, so many variables. Um, and I think he misunderstood... And I think this this is a broader cultural thing here in the United States. We misunderstand the value of stability and consistency. Um, sometimes uh, we get angry at someone like Joe Biden, for example, who is stable and he is consistent. Okay, this guy doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't go crazy. And his predecessor was the exact opposite. Uh, but try to remember before then, even, you know, for most of my lifetime, uh, George W. Bush for eight years, Barack Obama for eight years, they were stable. They were consistent in their views. They didn't go crazy. They didn't change things drastically, really. Um, the biggest change was one was Republican, one was a Democrat, but otherwise they were, they were very much the same individual, um, the same kind of person. So we as Americans, I think, after that 16 years of those types of individuals, we got complacent. We underestimated, we undervalued the stability and consistency of the presidency. And I think Russell Wilson made that mistake when it comes to coaches. Pete Carroll is stable and consistent. Sometimes he's consistently maddening to us, to us Seattle fans. We He drives us crazy. Um, last night's a perfect example. He has this horrible tendency of icing the kicker, thinking that's somehow going to do things. Uh, historically, the only thing that does is it gives the kicker a free practice kick, and then they can make an adjustment, and then the second kick they win, right? I mean, statistically, that's what happens. There is no evidence whatsoever that icing the kicker or calling a timeout at the last second right before the snap screws up a kicker and gets in their head. There's just no evidence of that at all. It, it just doesn't work. So to see him waste timeouts and do that, and also he has had it backfire in the past where, you know, the initial kick 
the kicker screws up. It goes wide right, wide left. Point is, it doesn't make it. And then, of course, because he got a practice kick, he makes an adjustment, maybe takes an extra step before kicking it, plows it through, wins the game, and then us Seattle fans are just pulling our hair out at that point. Um, but... <clears throat> You know, Russell Wilson uh, saw that the grass was greener. You know, two years back-to-back, we have had star quarterbacks leave the team that drafted them, go to a brand-new team, and immediately win the Super Bowl. Uh, You know, you had Tom Brady do it. He left the Patriots, went to the Buccaneers. They hosted the Super Bowl there in Tampa Bay, so he got a home game for the Super Bowl, wins it. And then Matthew Stafford leaves the Detroit Lions, goes to Los Angeles, does the exact same thing, immediately has success. And he saw that, and he was obviously frustrated because Matthew Stafford and uh, Tom Brady, they they get their input. You know, Tom Brady lands in Tampa Bay, and all of a sudden, you know, he's got his number one tight end from New England, Gronkowski, you know, calling on the phone saying, hey, can I come play there with you? And Tom Brady is just attracting all of this attention and uh, star power, you know, all the players want to go play there because he has a proven pedigree of success, right? So, you know, if if you've never won a championship and you want to win a championship, you go play for Tom Brady or you go play in Los Angeles with Matthew Stafford. Um, And I think, and again, this is is a larger cultural problem too. Uh, Russell Wilson took the long, uh, or took the incorrect, lessons from those scenarios okay Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford did not go to head coaches uh, who had never coached as as a head coach before Uh, both Tampa Bay and Los Angeles Rams uh, had head coaches who were very much established Uh, in in the in the Rams case they had been to a Super Bowl uh, with this head coach and they internally thought it was the quarterback's play. Uh, so these these two head coaches had already built a culture. They had built a locker room. And Brady and Stafford were not saviors of the franchise. They were missing pieces. And they were able to, be, to go in, fit their role, play their game, and succeed. And Russell Wilson, I think, went to Denver with this savior complex, like, I'm going to save this franchise. And he accidentally projected that onto what Brady and Stafford did, who I don't think they went there as saviors. Again, I think they went in as they were just missing pieces. They weren't going to go to any team and suddenly win. They were just those missing pieces that could provide the extra couple percent to get them over the line to win the Super Bowl. Uh, without them, they would not have made it. That is true. Uh, but they weren't the sole reason that they made it. You know, it wasn't like they brought something to the culture that simply was not there before, especially in Stafford's case, because he's never won a Super Bowl prior to going to LA. Brady maybe added to it, but you know, that was Bruce Arians locker room. That was his team. And LA had an established culture before, Stafford came in. Stafford was unproven in the playoffs, and obviously the Super Bowl, he'd never played in it. You had no idea what was going to happen. So that is a larger problem <laughs> that we have here in this culture where we start to think, yeah, the grass is always greener, and don't we, don't we think that, you know, if we could just get that one person, like uh, 
I always have the lefties tell me, you know, if Bernie was president, this would all be fixed. And I'm like, no, one person is not the answer to your problem because Bernie Sanders cannot change the culture of the Democratic Party. Okay, this is different. The Democrats are not built the exact same way as the Republican Party is. Uh, their base is very fractured and different from the Republican Party base. So while the Republican Party sets themselves up for Trump, Trump comes in and immediately has an effect and takes over the party. And all of a sudden you have all these party members falling over themselves to kiss his ring and do whatever the base wants. That's just not how the Democrats are built. That's not how they're set up. I find it very hard to believe that there's a democratic version of Donald Trump who can just come in, be totally different from anything we've ever had. And then the entire party is going to fall in line behind him. That's just not going to happen. And we kind of saw that in 2020 where Joe Biden, Mr. Consistency, stability, exact same as Bush and Obama is going to come in, do the same thing every Democratic president has done before him, done the same thing even that Bush did before him. You know, they're going to run along those lines and we can fall into this victimhood mentality of or we can we can fall victim to this idea of oh he's so boring why doesn't he get anything done and it's like keep in mind the orange god king was just president for four years and really he didn't get shit done okay he didn't do anything he wrecked everything uh you can point to judges but i would argue that wasn't him so much as it was the republican party uh, but one man didn't suddenly change every, you know, he didn't get anything done. And thinking that a Democratic version of a Donald Trump and, uh, you know, I'm only using Bernie Sanders because he's the most often brought up in that category of somebody who could transform the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, he, he is not stable. He's not consistent. Uh, and he's certainly not in line with your average Democrat. I don't see him being that person. So, you know, long story short, with a little uh, little football play in there, you, uh, you do have to be careful with the whole grass is greener on the other side. You have to be sure that you're learning all the lessons and making sure that they're appropriate to what you're trying to do and what's going on. Um, you know, if, if you just look at it and say, oh, Brady and Stafford went in and won Super Bowls, and that's all you take away from it is, you know, high-powered quarterback goes to new team, wins Super Bowl, then, yeah, you're, you're going to go ahead and make some concessions and go to a team with a brand-new head coach who is unproven and maybe doesn't, isn't ready to be a head coach. There's nothing wrong with that. Pete Carroll, he's on, this is his second time being a head coach. The first time, he did not last. He did not succeed. Uh, you know, it, it was a complete and total failure. And he had to go reinvent himself and find himself as a human being before he could come into the NFL again and have the success that he has had. Um, and Russell took it for granted. We did too. Uh, as, as a country, we, we took stability and consistency and boring for granted. But when it comes to politics, when it comes to our leaders, we actually thrive when we have boring Okay, we do a lot better with it. And it's really, they, those are traits that we should want in our leaders here in this country. Um, 
yeah, so forgive me for that rant. It's just it's those things that are on my brain, uh, you know, first thing after a, a, a just astounding, astounding football game. Uh, and especially such a such a fantastic uh, win and all the storylines and everything else. There's really so much more to it. Um, it's why I love the sport. Um, it's why I love sports in general. Um, there, there's usually a lot more going on than we get. Uh, you find out so much before and after. I I just love it. And you can't predict it because if predictions were true, Denver should have come in and just completely mopped the floor with the Seattle Seahawks. It should have been a complete destruction of the Seahawks. Uh, so for that not to happen uh, just goes to show you, you know, that's why they play the game. Anyway, <laughs> on to the main topic. Well, you know, if they uh, if they get assault rifles banned, they're going to come for all your guns. That's usually the argument. That's uh, It's known as the slippery slope argument. You know, first they start with something, but then the next thing you know, it's completely gone, right? Um, I'm not a fan of the slippery slope argument. Um, it, it takes a very complex shades of gray situation and it turns it into a black and white issue, um, which is kind of the opposite of what I like to do. I like to take a black and white issue and blow it up to see the different shades of gray and the different variables in the equation. Um, very much a fan of algebra rather than two plus two is four. Um, I like the unknowns. I like the variables and all that. So, you know, when it comes to weapons bans, um, you know, and the slippery slope argument completely negates the fact, uh, that we already have limits on weaponry in this country. Uh, everywhere I've ever lived has had a length limit on knives in public spaces. You can't just walk around with a sword in most places. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, it's illegal to own many types of explosives. Uh, you can't just go buy a grenade. Um, every time there's a bombing in this country, we find out the accused bomber, uh, you know, had to assemble it from scratch. The Boston Marathon was a rigged pressure cooker. Um, Oklahoma City was 5,000 pounds of fertilizer, uh, that the convicted needed to use an alias and a co-conspirator to purchase without, you know, garnering a significant amount of suspicion. You know, 5,000 pounds is very difficult to move. You can't easily transport that, um, and you can't easily buy it all at once. Uh, you know, ammonium nitrate, I believe it is, is, is very, very difficult to acquire in large amounts, especially since that bombing. But even before, there were limits. Uh, you can't just go ahead and buy this stuff. Um, so the, the point is, is that, you know, the Second Amendment doesn't extend beyond a firearm, doesn't extend beyond a gun. We already have limits. Um, it also ignores the Second Amendment entirely uh, and all the precedents that the courts have uh, set over the decades. And I do mean decades. It's, it's been a long time. This has been a very concerted effort on the right to strengthen the Second Amendment, to broaden its scope. Um when it comes to firearms. Um, and American culture is very much pro-gun. Uh, even the Hollywood liberal elite all bow down and prostrate themselves before whatever the uh, the next great action movie is going to be. Okay, I mean, they, they can 
talk a big game about how they're all anti-gun and, you know, guns are horrible. And yeah, sure, you might see the actors and the filmmakers out protesting with the rest of us about the latest school shooting. They're still going to go home and write a script and film a movie where guns are extremely prevalent. They're used by the good guys to kill the bad guys. Um, it's, it's done all the time. Uh, Hollywood is the single biggest supporter of the gun industry without actually being a supporter of the gun industry. It's, it's nuts. Um, the people behind it are there because guns sell. It's, it's very much a cultural, uh, point. You know, Slippery Slope sounds good. It's easy. It's black and white, like I said before, but in order for it to work, you have to ignore a lot. You know, uh, another thing you have to ignore is religion's role in all of this. And that is to say, when it comes to guns, there isn't one. There's the pro-gun pro -gun right that loves their fan fiction of Jesus wielding an AK-47. It's, it's actually kind of crazy how often I see that stuff. Uh, but on the left, David Hogg isn't reading scripture denouncing violence. Like, there is no left religious anti-gun zealotry that's that's just not there um and this is important in drawing comparisons uh to the slippery slope being used with abortion for as long as i can remember the left has been saying you know if you overturn roe v wade it's going to lead to a total ban and we were always called radicals uh no one's calling for a total ban you're crazy you're nuts we just want the states to decide or you know we want to give the vote back to the people or we hate activist judges or all that stuff you know very very basic stuff very little things but you know not five minutes after roe v wade was overturned the news was you know, reporting that the next time the Republicans controlled the House, the Senate, and the presidency, they're going to inflict a national ban. And, you know, in case you're saying, oh, well, that's just the news reporting, whatever, well, guess what's happening today? Lindsey Graham, with support of a lot of Republicans, are actually proposing right now in the Senate a national ban, uh, a 20-week I believe, no, excuse me, it's a 15-week ban. The uh, Lindsey Graham's tried this before, uh, and in previous attempts, he, he did 20 weeks. Uh, but this time it's 15, and they want to go ahead and they want to put this in. And they think it's going to be some kind of, like, gotcha for the Democrats, because obviously the Democrats are going to deny it because they don't believe in the ban at all. Um, but, but they somehow, they're, they're trying to wrestle with it because they're getting their ass kicked in the polls when it comes to this, like... You know, old analogy, the dog caught the car and now the politicians don't know how to navigate this because their base really loves it, which means they can win their primaries. But the general public really fucking hates it. And it scared the shit out of them because just a while ago we had Kentucky, of all places, massively destroying some pro-abortion legislation. Just absolutely kicking the shit out of it. It was a wipeout. Um, and women are right now disproportionately signing up and registering to vote in numbers we've never seen before. And it's got all the Republicans shitting their pants. Uh, I'm glad to see it, of course, but this is their, this is their thing. They're proposing a ban in an effort to tamp down some of that enthusiasm that the left has right now. I personally don't get it. Um, but hey, 
uh, I'm I'm willing to take the stupid with it. Maybe it works. Uh, maybe I'm missing something because I don't I don't operate in uh, in right wing circles, so I don't know how this is going to play. But from the outside looking in, trying to tell everyone you you're not going to do a national ban, and then suddenly turning around and proposing a national ban seems counterintuitive. <laughs> you know, and. Uh, and the national ban, the only reason this is coming up is because all it took was a, a few governors in blue states like California and a few corporations saying that they would uh, totally cover the financial aspect of the travel cost out of state uh, to receive an abortion, and uh, and they lost their minds. Uh, what, what do you mean they can leave Texas and go to California and get an abortion? What do you mean they can leave Florida and go to New York and get that? That's not cool. Ugh. You know, because that really bothers them. Because rational human beings, you know, content now that blood was no longer on their hands. Say, say you're a Floridian, you're, you're a religious zealot, you believe the soul is imbued into the child at conception. Therefore, it is God's creature and you cannot kill it. And, and I'm not doubting those are real people. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to demean that at all, actually. If you're a true believer, I have no problem with you. The problem is I, I don't think a lot of these people are. I think they're acting in bad faith. But but there are these people. And you would think a rational human being is like, look, I have banned it in my locality. I am, I am content knowing that my tax dollars, uh, my state, my representatives are not actively helping people uh, to get abortions. And therefore, there is no blood on my hands. Um, and I think a rational human being could also, you know, come to believe, hey, God, I did what I could do to prevent this. But I am but one person. And there are millions of people against me. Uh, I did the best I could. And honestly, I don't think, assuming your almighty is a rational being, uh, would hold it against you. Uh, if, if that really pissed him off, be like, hey, you did the best you could in Florida. Congrats. You know, you, you did your thing. Uh, you know, no worries about it. Um, the only problem is religion is not and has never been rational. Uh, I, I like this story. Uh, so when medieval Japan was mastering the art of steel to make their iconic katana blades, hundreds of years before anyone else on the planet could, I mean, they were they were perfecting steel when you know medieval medieval Europe was still trying to figure out iron. Really, uh, it was it was way in advance. Uh, they knew that this was very important, so they purposefully attached religion to the smelting and blacksmithing of steel swords uh, because they knew that by attaching religion to it, you could kind of harness that religious fervor. Uh, that only religion can could provide back then. And you can make sure that when somebody is studying and when somebody is trying to memorize a procedure or something else, if you attach religion to it, it's, it's going to give it that extra oomph, right? And that person's going to remember a little better. Try to remember, you know, there were no electronics. They, they weren't writing this stuff on stone. These were, these were trade secrets. Uh, paper, of course. But... Paper can wear over time. This was the kind of thing that needed to be taught from teacher to student, and apprenticeship lasts decades, you know? 
uh, e even today, uh, some of the uh, some Japanese smelters will be in their 80s, you know, and they they just kind of feel it. It's really weird and and cool watching them. They'll they'll just sit there and and they'll smelt this steel over a period of several days. They won't sleep, and they'll they'll watch this huge thing. Uh, you know, smelt the steel, and all they'll do is occasionally give an order, you know, oh, more coal, less coal, whatever, and, and, and he does this over a period of days, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme, reason, or formula behind it, but at the end, the product is just as good as any modern-day smelting technique to create steel. It's, it's magnificent and fascinating, but, you know, that's why they were able to kind of incorporate religion to it and say, you know, there's something spiritual going on. You're transforming a metal from one thing to another. So you can see how the, the religious side of it goes in. But even the medieval Japanese knew if we attach religion to this, there's no way we're going to forget how to do it. And that was the important part. They knew, like I said, there's just a little something extra that clicks in the human brain that makes it like you will not forget this. Um, and abortion is attached to religion. Um, abortion advocates uh, or anti-abortion advocates have attached religion to their cause. Uh, morality, um, you know, when the soul goes in and all that, that, that has been attached to abortion. The problem is, is that other things currently attached to Christianity in the cultural lexicon of the United States is white supremacy and gender toxicity <laughs> you know um you know religion doesn't explicitly tell us when an unborn fetus gets a soul uh, so they can argue point of conception however again the true believers the, the the people who really do believe hey this fetus has a soul this is god's child um, you know, it's not its fault that it was or is being born of rape or incest. You know, this is an innocent life. And they, they truly, you know, in good faith, they're making that argument and they really do believe it. The problem is those people are not driving the train on this. Uh, the right supremacy is. They cannot allow a woman and her doctors to face God's judgment in the afterlife. You know, you would think, hey, whatever happens, right? I mean, if you if you really believe all this stuff, right, then the woman who gets an abortion, the doctors who perform the abortion, like they're going to hell, right? There's there's no question. They're going to burn. Like, seriously, if, if you really believe this stuff, then you have to believe that God's judgment, which will be final, uh, th these people are done, right? And you can't fix what's already been done, so yeah, whatever. There must be punishment. This is why we have laws cropping up about charging women and their doctors with murder, or bounty laws allowing your friend who gave you a ride to the clinic to be sued for helping, and laws restricting free travel between states. And I've heard the argument before, but Kyle... The Constitution guarantees free travel between the states. It's black and white. It's right there in the, in the thing. And I would say, true, but this Supreme Court will bend over backwards to find a way out. And it's actually very easy to see. 
we do not allow free travel between the states to commit crimes. If abortion is criminalized, the Supreme Court will very easily say that free travel between the states is no longer applicable because you are going to commit a crime. This is very this is actually a very easy loophole for them to go through because of course we would not allow California to let its citizens or even promote its citizens to go to another state to commit murder. That's just not it, there's no way on earth that would be allowed. That that defies common sense, right? The Supreme Court has a very easy thing to do. All it needs is a national law saying that abortion, you know, like this Lindsey Graham law, after 15 weeks, is illegal. And they can say, leaving your state to have an abortion is a crime, and we don't allow criminals to travel freely between the states to commit crimes. It's actually a very easy argument. It's an argument that they'll win because rationally, on its head, that makes total sense. So this is going to be very easy. They're going to limit travel in the United States on that precedent. I guarantee you that's what it's going to be. And it's not about anybody's immortal soul. That is a cover. But it only works if you ignore a lot. The goal of the right supremacy is to control. It's led by men and their women accomplices in an effort to control. Okay? I read just this morning that in the 1980s, women in the workforce accounted for roughly one quarter of managerial positions. Today, that number is over 50%. It's over half. You are more likely to have a woman as your manager than a man currently in the United States. Women are going to college more. They are dropping out less in high school. Men in this country feel threatened. Rather than self-reflect, maybe accept some personal responsibility pull themselves up by their bootstraps, perhaps, try to evolve, try to improve themselves, they've chosen instead to grasp for control. The easiest way to derail a woman's ambition? Pregnancy. Why don't more women go to college? They got pregnant. Why don't women, you know, pursue more ambitious career goals? Because they have kids. This is not rocket science. This is basic. Women are the caretakers. They are the mothers. And unless you've got a really understanding dude who's okay not being the breadwinner and is totally fine cooking, cleaning, doing the dishes, and raising those kids... Having kids means taking a step away from your own personal ambitions. Okay, look no further than Congress. Okay, there's a reason why women tend to uh, run for Congress later in their lives. Okay, Elizabeth Warren didn't run for Congress until she was a grandmother. She is 
no less qualified now than she would have been 40 years ago. The difference was she no longer had kids that she felt she had to take care of. And there's, of course, nothing wrong with her wanting to take care of her kids. This happens everywhere. There is still an innate innate bias in American workforce culture against pregnant women and women with lots of kids. Okay? If you're a mother going in for a job interview versus a man who has no kids, the scale's tilted in their favor. You have to be an exceptional candidate, whereas they can be average. Even if the man does have kids, typically it's the mother who takes time off from work to make sure that the kids get to where they need to be, be doctor's visits, child care, all that. A lot of that falls on the shoulders of women. Men just don't do that. That's a cultural thing. But because of that, women are the ones who have to take more time off of work. They have to take more days off of work. Their hours are all of a sudden unpredictable. Sometimes they have to call in sick, not because they're sick. Their kid is sick. Guys don't have to do that. Very rarely. Very rarely. Especially by comparison. It's no contest. So men in this country feel very threatened. There is a crisis of what it means to be masculine, what it means to be male in the United States today. And most men, again, because of the culture, we don't want to ask for help. That's against every fiber of our being because we were raised a certain way. You know, media does not give us an alternative. So that's what really is going on with the abortion debate. It is not and never has been about the lives of the children or the lives of the mother. There are other examples that prove this point. For example, uh, if, if life begins at conception, then why doesn't the man have to pay child support until the child is born? Being pregnant costs money. Why does the man not have to provide support for this? There are programs also. If it was just about abortion, if it was just about abortion, wouldn't you think the logical step would be, okay, I hate abortion. I don't like abortion. I don't want it to happen. But Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. So in the meantime, while I am still working to overturn that, what can I do to limit the number of abortions? Well, I can provide contraception. I can educate women. You know, sex, sex education is very important. The more sex ed you have, the less likely you are to become pregnant, which is why abstinence-only states have the highest levels of teen pregnancy in the country. This is very simple. What are the motivating factors for a woman uh, wanting to get an abortion? Economics. Financial stability. They don't have it. Why would you want to have a baby if you can't feed it? That's a very real thing. I mean, it. I can't even imagine not being, you know, uh, telling my kids they have to go to bed hungry because I can't provide for them. 
Now imagine you're a woman trying to do it alone. There are programs we could invest in. There are taxes we could levy. There are things we could do to make women's lives a hell of a lot easier so that their only option isn't abortion. I mean, if you really didn't like abortion, what's easier, uh, helping women work through this very difficult time or ban abortion and you know for years the easier answer was hey maybe you should help women but that has never been the tact they've taken that's never been the direction the course the course has always been we want a complete and total ban and even now lindsey graham's bill 15 weeks limitation nowhere in it is oh and by the way we're going to increase funding for prenatal care and we're going to make uh you know, just having a kid in the hospital uh, free, it's on the taxpayer, or, or we're going to provide nutritional assistance to, uh, to new mothers and their babies, or we're going to uh, help with daycare because we know the woman, uh, especially if she's alone, she has to financially work and be capable. And obviously, if you're, you know, got kids, you've got to worry about that. I mean, th there are dozens and dozens and dozens of steps that could be taken before banning abortion, and they've never taken them. They've been everything but that. They've actively fought against those things while also being against abortion. So you can't convince me that it's all about the life of the baby or the immortal soul. It's never been about that. It's always been about control. It is a last grasp from an old culture, from men who are lost, who never grew up, who are still boys who think of things in black and white and never shades of gray. They don't know how to flesh out things. I've been that way. It's very easy to fall into it, this victim mentality. I didn't get fired because of something I did. It's because of what other people did. Other people are getting something I'm not, therefore I'm angry. And you never bother to self-reflect, and that is a huge problem. Um... And it's, it's something I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Uh, I wanted this episode to kind of encompass everything, but, you know, as I was writing it, I realized, you know, this is a two-parter. <laughs> Might be a three-parter. Who knows? Um, you know, but I plan on diving into it tomorrow and, uh, and, and dealing, you know, how I think we got here and what we can do about it moving forward. Um as usual, this is going to be my perspective. I've lived this life. I have been very deep in the victim mentality. I have seen it, and I've also seen how admitting you need help can be a very powerful liberator for all of us. And a lot of the conclusions I've come to lately on what our problem here is in the United States as far as what is manliness? What does it mean to be male here in this society right now? It is an open question that the right is coming at us with a bunch of bullshit, saying it's the fault of someone else, taking away what is your God-given right to dominate. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not. But we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, as always, like, subscribe, share, leave comments, uh, all that good stuff. That's how the sh channel grows. That's how we're going to be going. And uh, I will see you guys tomorrow. In the meantime, be safe, get vaccinated, wear a mask if you need to. Um, 
But yeah, please get that vaccine. Good Lord. Anyway, see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one.